0: All right, welcome back to the Nexus Podcast. Uh, this is going to be a treat for you guys. Noam and Sharon of Team Eighty Two are with me today, and uh, this is your podcast. You, the listener, a, a lot of you uh, were kind enough to submit questions on our social media channels for our research team. Um, the questions range from you know their day to day about their work, what's happening in the industry. And some of you asked for some plain old advice from them. So it's, this is going to be a cool discussion. Uh, Noam and Sharon have conducted some amazing research. And uh, I've been lucky enough to work closely with them and the rest of Team 82 for the last three years. So I'm psyched we were able to put this together. This is kind of like an Ask Me Anything type of podcast. So uh, let's get it going and uh, and and start things off. Hi, guys. How are you doing?
1: Hi, Mike. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. Yes, hey, nope. good to be here.
0: Yeah, definitely looking forward to this. And uh, I was kind of surprised we got a good amount of questions. You guys definitely have some fans out there, which I'm not surprised about. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so let's get started. Um, the first question, just and it's a pretty good one. I mean, like, how do you guys, you know, decide your your targets for for research? Oh, um, and, you know, there's there's a lot out there, and I know you guys have certain areas of focus, but There has to be a a kind of a process behind it.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, So uh, we have a lot of engagements with our customers. So we try to uh, make sure we both understand the market and also uh, our customers' networks. So we engage with with many discussions with our customers to try to understand uh, what they most fear of. For example, um, in previous discussions with our customers, many of them told us that they most fear of uh, VPN access to their OT networks. Um, And so we decided to research VPN uh, access to OT networks. We also heard uh, a lot of concerns from our customers regarding PLC and bytecode manipulation. So we started a few years ago an intensive research into bytecode manipulation and how attackers could potentially hide code in PLCs. So we try to to be on top of it and engage with a lot of discussions with our customers, but also uh, take a close look at what's going on in the market in terms of uh, new devices, new equipment, and also uh, trends, attackers trends and new attack vectors. Um, So we're trying to be uh, on on top of things this way. Mm -hmm. And
0: do you guys ever get surprised by what comes back from customers or users as, as feedback? Like, I guess what I'm asking is you go into an engagement and, you you know, you're expecting X, Y, and Z, and you get A, B, and C instead, kind of, in, in terms of what they're looking for.
1: Yeah, so to be honest, not really. I mean, uh, for the most part, most uh, CISOs, are, our engagement is mostly with the CISO office. Uh, so mm-hmm. we, in most cases, we hear the the same repetitive uh, narrative of uh, they scared of uh, ransomware groups and they scared of uh, uh, nation state-sponsored attackers. Um, so most of what we hear, we kind of are already familiar, or at least uh, we think uh, we, we know these fields pretty much. Um, and most of the equipment we hear from our customers that they most concern of uh, is usually the same type of equipment. So usually it's uh, or the core of the OT networks uh, or the perimeter. Uh, so we're talking about uh, firewalls and VPN access to mm-hmm. the OT network.
0: And Noam, I know a lot of times, I, I, especially early when I joined Clarity, almost 100% of your research was OT specific. Um, you guys, I think, were over 500 vulnerability disclosures. A lot of them are still OT, but there's definitely been a shift towards IOT, uh, even healthcare vulnerabilities with the Medigate acquisition, I'm sure, has really fueled that. But can you just kind of discuss kind of, you know, that transition to kind of broadening your your research scope?
2: So I, I think that transition was kind of natural because... In OT, we see a limited set of devices, of, uh, it's, it's more of like a closed network. And in the IoT realm, we can see anything and any kind of device that you can even imagine about. Uh, and I think when realizing that the OT networks could be connected by uh, some IoT devices that might act as a gateway, uh, as a net gateway to the network, uh, as a remote site connectivity device, that's when we realize that sometimes the IoT is the weak device uh, and the weak points in the networks. uh, And we see an increased amount of attacks that are targeting IoT devices in specific because of the lack of understanding, security mechanisms, protections, etc. And I think IoT is very interesting because the hardest part in IoT is not knowing what you have in your network because you are not aware what every device is, where it is located, and what is it running, what is it connecting to, etc. And, and that's when IoT risk management and vulnerability research comes into play because then you can understand what is the inherent risk at connecting this might-be-rogue IoT device.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting you put that about OT in that way, like it's a closed uh, ecosystem. It's something like healthcare still kind of wide open. I guess what I'm asking is that, have you guys found all the OT vulnerabilities and then IoT and healthcare, et cetera, still pretty wide open area for you guys as researchers?
2: So I think we do see like uh, an increase in security mechanism and uh, counter in the OT sector. Uh, and we are also seeing an increase in the IoT and medical uh, uh, sector of the this business. And, mm-hmm. and however, it is still very early and we still are missing very critical like OT and IoT and medical IoT and basically the X iot something that is not a Windows machine running uh, Windows 11. Usually these are lack, these, these devices lack security mechanisms. And while we do see an increase luckily for us and for the industry, yeah, it's still like a field that is a little bit behind because we don't have these great tools, great knowledge, great capability to understand what's happening under the hood in these realms of the right.
0: All right. So I have another listener question. Um And it's kind of interesting. It's a different take, I think. Like, how do you know? How does Team 82 decide when research is done? Like, how do you know when when you're finished? It's It's kind of an interesting take on what you do.
1: Yeah, so... We have what what I call uh, the the research cycle. Uh, so first of all, we're targeting a specific uh, device. Uh, usually, it's a device. Sometimes it's a software piece. Um, so we have our process of how we're deciding. Uh, and prioritize what uh, equipment or devices we're targeting. And then we're starting uh, the research process. So obviously, in order to research the device, we first need to acquire it. Uh, some, sometimes it's easy to acquire the device. Uh, sometimes it's very difficult because we're, we're talking about, uh, in many cases, are, uh, about esoteric devices that are not so easy to to, to get your hands on. Uh, but we have our ways to get these devices. And once uh, we are able to get a device, we're uh, starting to to play with it, uh, which means, first of all, we're installing it in our lab and we're trying to to put the user hat and try to play with it. Um, So after a while, uh, after a while, we already configured the device. Uh, We understand the basic, capabilities uh, and how to use it. Uh, And then we're wearing our hacker hat and we're trying to think of the different attack vectors and different interfaces uh, that could potentially uh, be used by attackers in order to gain unauthorized access to the device. Uh, Now, this is the part where we kind of uh, declare our goals. Uh, so it can be, for example, remote code execution on device, but it can also be uh, a denial of service. And depends on our goals, we determine how much time we're going to invest in the research process. And we kind of put different points in time of which uh, we refer to as checkpoints where we check ourselves and see if we want to proceed this way or to halt the research.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: the, the short answer is that it depends on the research and uh, it depends on the goals we determine uh, along the research process.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Noam, how how often does it happen when you set a goal of say remote code execution, for example, and you, like Sharon said you get to that point where you just kind of have to determine it's not going to happen or do you pretty much go into something knowing you can achieve it
2: no so it definitely happens sometimes sometimes yeah. you look at like you look at a platform you look at an architecture you look at a device and you say yeah it will be super cool if i can get this primitive for example and sometimes you don't get it and while it is frustrating uh, it might you, you need to like Think uh, within yourself and say, "Is it worth it? Should I keep researching it, and or maybe should I should just refocus and try and sell something else? Maybe looking mm-hmm. from a different angle, or maybe put the uh, the whole project into halt." Uh, so while it does happen, luckily for us, uh, many times we do succeed in our goals and we find some pretty cool vulnerabilities and vulnerability chains. Uh, but yeah, it's very very sad every time. <laughs> when you have a project and you don't get to finish it altogether, uh, but that's life.
0: Uh, all right. So next question, how do, uh, how do you guys keep yourselves updated with uh, recent trends in ICS, OT, reverse engineering, all the tools at your disposal? Do you have certain sources of information you depend on or is it all kind of trial and error? What can you, what can you tell us about that?
1: Uh, Yeah, so we actually try to be on top of things. Uh, So first of all, we have a script which uh, sends us a notification whenever a new CVE, a new exploit, or a new tool is being released. So we're scraping a lot of uh, uh, sources, for example, Reddit um, and other forums. So whenever there is a new tool or a new vulnerability, uh, we get a notification uh, and we try to read the, the relevant information uh, for this particular CVE or vulnerability or blog or tool. Um, so this is how we consume news. We have uh, a script which is, uh, by the way, also open source, so anyone else can use the, this script uh, to get uh, uh, to be on top of things. But we also tend to go to uh, conferences, cybersecurity conferences like Black Hat, Def Con. Uh, offensive con and other security conferences. And we try to engage uh, with the community with uh, different cybersecurity researchers, uh, and share information and also consume information from uh, their research.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would imagine, like, especially for offensive security, the the smaller conferences are probably really valuable. That's when you can meet people and and really engage as opposed to a black hat where there's 30,000 people running around for for five days and just exhausted because it's Vegas. Yeah,
2: for sure. I mean, when you get to meet like another research group or another great researcher one-on-one, you get to talk, you get to mingle, you get to like actually have fun together and talk some cyber and some research and what do you do and what do I do? And maybe we can collaborate. That's, I think, the most fun there is. Uh, We did some uh, collaboration with other research group and other great researchers. We see them in different conferences. We see them in different uh, hacking competitions like the pwn to Own competition. Uh, We have some great friends in the community. And it's always fun meeting new people and cool people and smart people.
0: Yeah. That's one thing I've seen, too. It's it's pretty collaborative. I mean, you think that, you know, your communities would be pretty competitive. And I'm sure to a degree you are, but it is, it is pretty collaborative, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, everyone's so nice. Everyone wants to collaborate. I mean, at the end of the day, we are all researchers trying to better understand, find vulnerabilities, to look for some cool bugs, some cool misconfigurations, etc. I mean, we are pretty curious people. Uh, and we can be friends easily. So it's mm-hmm. great. And it's always fun collaborating, talking to people, seeing people, meeting new people. That's amazing. That's the most amazing part of this con- con- conver- con- conversations and conferences. Yeah.
0: All right. So I have another question. It's kind of related. Um, just for someone who wants to start out at, with vulnerability research, do some of the things that you guys are doing. Any resources you can recommend around fuzzing, reverse engineering, et cetera? And I just kind of as a follow up question for me, how much of this is self taught versus, say, what's available in like a university environment, for example? So just share some resources for a beginner.
2: So I think, I think we do, and we and also other people in the community do a lot of blogs trying to explain to people with no prior knowledge needed. And in the case of fuzzing or be it vulnerability research, reverse engineering, et cetera, I think that there are two methods that to to learn this. And yeah, I do think this is a self-taught skill and not something you, you usually learn at the university. I believe the best approach is obviously hands-on Meaning, taking on a project, trying to do it yourself, trying to scramble and maybe better understand it. And while it is hard, this is the most surefire way into succeeding. Because at the end of the day, no man, no matter how much preparation and experience you have, you will not encounter the same exact things always. You always need to basically be ingenuitive and think outside the box. And this way, you need to do things on your own and have hands-on experience. Other than that, I think we have some great blogs and, of course, other researchers as well that try and understand our researcher point of view and how we do things and how we do uh, try and do our uh, research examples. And, of course, lastly, uh, the best way to get hands-on experience is CDF competitions, it's different kind of machines that you need to try and pwn. I'm a great believer in CTF. I believe it's a great way to get some hands-on experience. Uh, and it's a way, great way for beginners that don't know how to just jump into the water to jump an easier way in instead.
1: Sharron, anything you want to add? Uh, no, uh, I think to summarize it, uh, do CTFs. This is the, the best way to get hands-on experience. And there are many CTFs that are the beginner's level. And if you don't know how to solve uh, a certain challenge, then you start to learn. So it's kind of a, uh, a, a learning experience that you first try to to achieve something with your hands, and only then you, you learn what you need in order to achieve it. Uh, I mm-hmm. think, especially in cybersecurity, uh, this is the the method that worked for me um, and also noam and other folks that we know from the industry so uh learn by doing so first of all try to achieve something Uh, in this case ctf is is a great uh, uh, a great challenge to achieve and there are again many different ctfs that are already uh, uh, fully prepared so you can just uh, start go go online and start to do CTF and, and learn by doing it and and learn uh, how to solve some things, solve some challenges uh, by first trying to attempt to, uh, you know, struggle with the challenge, understand what, what is required uh, and then maybe read a couple of blogs on, on this material or this subject, and then maybe learn new skill or maybe uh, learn a, a new programming language. So, the short answer is CTF.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. So I have a technical question now. Um, listener wants to know what are the best methods uh, for firmware extraction for Team 82? And I know you guys do. A, this is a, a key part of, of almost every research project for you. So just curious to hear what you have to say about that.
1: Uh, Yeah, this is correct, Micah. So we're doing a lot of uh, firmware extractions uh, because most of our research is around embedded devices, uh, mostly IoT, OT, and medical devices. Uh, So we do engage with many firmware extraction methods. Um, So I can divide this into three categories. Uh, The first category is the easiest. Uh, The firmware can be downloaded from the vendor's website. You just go online, download a firmware and, and it's not, in, not, not encrypted. Uh, so obviously this is the easiest way uh, to obtain a firmware. You just download it, it's not encrypted uh, and you can just uh, play with it. Uh, the second category is where you have uh, firmware is available online, but they are encrypted. Obviously in order to open them you need to understand the encryption mechanism uh, and methods. And sometimes it's easy um, and sometimes it's not. Usually uh, when it's not easy, so it's a complicated uh, encryption, you would need to first research a non-encrypted firmware. And again, there are different ways to obtain those. Sometimes it's easy. For example, if the vendor's uh, website offer to download older firmware versions. So you just go back until you find uh, the kind of in-between firmware version, the the firmware version that is not encrypted uh, and you research it, this specific uh, firmware version, and it must contain the new capabilities to upgrade into uh, encrypted firmware. So in most cases, the encryption method uh, will be found there. Uh, and the the last category is where you cannot get any kind of plain text firmware uh, because all the firmwares you have are encrypted or you do not have any firmware at all. This is where you need to do firmware extraction from the hardware itself. Uh, and this is where we are getting into the hardware uh, hacking. So there are different methods and tools to do hardware hacking, uh, but In all of them, the first goal would be to extract the firmware from the flash and their flash chip. This is where the storage of the device uh, is. And Mm -hmm. there are different different hacking methods to do this uh, by reading it using UART or JTAG uh, or reading it uh, from the flash chip or from the EMMC. Um, so we have uh, in our lab, we have all the tools necessary in order to engage with such a, such activity. Uh, but the bottom line is we get the firmware some way or the other.
0: Right. So, Noam, I'm curious just from a research point of view, how, and, and maybe this is just my own personal ignorance, but like how difficult is it or how different is it? to work with firmware, finding vulnerabilities in firmware versus software and app and applications and so forth? Is the is all of it automated regardless of what you're working on? Just kind of bring me inside that a little bit.
2: So there is, while there is a different, the core concepts are the same. Basically, you try and understand where could an attacker abuse this kind of mechanism or this kind of support, and then you try and simulate these kind of attacks. And yeah, the world of vulnerabilities are different in between firmware and device vulnerabilities, or let's say cloud, web-based, maybe high level uh, programming language, et cetera. But the, the core concepts are the same. And basically you come uh, with the correct mindset. If for example I'm looking at a thermal device, I try and understand how does it communicate with the outside world, what kind of services does it expose, etc. instead of looking at the different, let's say if we're talking about web vulnerabilities, uh, what are the open routes, et cetera. So you need to come with the correct mindset, and the correct world knowledge, but the core issues are the same. You try and understand how does the device work, what kind of external devices or communication methods does it perform, what it exposes, and what are the uh, security uh, concerns that could arise if, let's say, an attacker try and abuse this kind of mistrust in different components. So Mm -hmm. it it changes, but at the end of the day, it's still vulnerability research, and you still need to come from an attacker's point of view and try and understand what could have the developers done wrong, what kind of uh, misconceptions could they put in place, and how can you abuse things.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, so I have a question here about... um... The, the OT and IoT threats that are out there. And I'm just curious, it's a big question, but you know, just kind of some tactics or techniques lately that you've seen that are particularly concerning or, or deserve some, some extra attention, whether it's on the cybercrime side or the, the, the APT side of things. Um, just, just what are you seeing in terms of threats that, that are worth some attention?
1: Uh, Yeah, so to be honest, the number one threat currently um, for both IT and OT is ransomware groups. Uh, Ransomware groups are the most motivated uh, cyber criminals uh, and cyber gangs uh, that try to extort the the companies, the organizations for financial gains. And they invest a lot of time and they have many partners that work with them uh, to obtain access to different, uh, different companies. And once they obtain access, they get inside and they start deploying uh, different ransomware tools. It can be ransomware tools that encrypt information on uh, on the machines or just kind of uh, malwares that exf- exfiltrate that outside of the organization. Uh, what scares us the most um, since we started as an OT company, is ransomware groups that are specifically targeting OT companies, because when these cyber criminals target OT companies, it's not just the the IT network that they go after, but also the OT network. And if they are able to shut down parts of the OT network, uh, the companies, uh, and some of them are customers, uh, lose a lot of money. So, we really try to pay attention to different, uh, cyber criminals activities and what type of, uh, malware they use, what type of ransomware they use and what type of methods they use, uh, in order to be well-prepared, uh, and make sure we, uh, we can detect and also, uh, hopefully help our customers and our organizations to, to prevent the, the next threat. So, mm-hmm. To summarize uh, we currently most fear of uh, the most uh, kind of uh, predominant, a predominant uh, threat which are cyber criminals uh, finan- mo- financially motivated uh, and trying to deploy ransomware in different OT networks
0: mm-hmm. and Noam you can have the last word what's your take on on the threat landscape what do you what do you what, what's got your attention?
2: yes so i think we can see a pretty similar approach coming from the medicals point of view as well because once again the more, where's money there's attackers and i think in the last few years attackers recognized that this is a very profitable uh, although a bit very uh, fishy and not legitimate but it is very very profitable for them to target the ot sector and of course the medical sectors uh, because of the threat of compromising lives, sensitive information, uh, personal identifiable inf- information, etc. cetera. Because of all these risks, uh, attackers put into place and are very, very focusing on attacking medical networks, attacking OT networks. And that's why we see an increase in the number of attacks. Uh, and I think the, like, the biggest player in this field is, uh, in my opinion, the female groups, the uh, ransomware group, groups trying to basically encrypt and do a ransomware attack on different organizations uh, in order to gain financial uh, to gain financial gain, gains. Uh, so yeah, I agree with Sharon and I think it's not only affecting the OT field but also the medical field uh, and could in, uh, introduce risk and maybe even real life damage uh, and physical damage to people. Uh, and this is the big attacker and this is who we should uh, recognize and defend against
0: yeah i mean that's the big difference it's it's physical safety as opposed to just some servers being down for sure yeah all right guys i know we're up against time i really want to thank you uh, we've definitely got a bunch of questions still to go but we can save it for for part two down the line um it, it seems that people have some some great stuff and and want to hear from you so let, let's plan to do another one
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Mike. It was our pleasure. All
0: right, right, guys. Thanks again. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.